Welcome to the Live, Move, Feel podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Aitken. I'm an exercise physiologist with close to 15 years experience and movement is my cup of tea. Now, we know that there's a strong link between movement, mindset and lifestyle. So I hope this podcast will leave you with a few takeaways that allows you to live your life to the fullest. So put your earbuds in, get moving, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Live, Move, Feel podcast. So this one is a Q&A episode. I did say a while back that I was going to do a few Q&A episodes here and there, and I haven't quite gotten around to it. So as promised, um, this one will be answering any questions that you have put through to me. Now, I did have a question box up on my story on my Instagram page a few days ago, um, and I have received quite a few questions from that. So there were some really good ones. You guys went hard from the outset, um, and you have haven't held back. So I will answer as many as I can get through. There were a few that came through that were the same. Um, so I have kind of grouped them together so that I can get through as many as possible in, let's say, 20 or 30 minutes. Um, but as a starting point, the first question that came through um, blew me a little bit. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I actually don't know the person who sent this first question through, but that question was, have you ever thought about taking PEDs? Now, for those of you that don't know, PEDs are performance enhancing drugs. Um, And I am assuming that this question is in relation to me competing in natural bodybuilding. So I guess, um, you know, I will be honest in answering these questions. And I guess my thoughts on this particular question tend to go along these lines. Now, like, yes, I have. Um, And I don't know if there is any athlete out there um, competing in this type of sport that hasn't thought about it at some stage, right? So um, it is definitely something that I've thought about, um, but I stand with a very firm no in my decision not to take them. However, I will take you through my thoughts um, on this particular topic. So I currently compete in natural federations. So in Australia, that would be ICN, ANB, um, NBA, there are several more as well. Um, And if I was to take performance enhancing drugs, then it is going to wipe out my ability um, and I would no longer be eligible to compete in those natural federations. Okay, so for those of you that don't know, um, bodybuilding has two federations. So there are tested federations where those federations will regularly drug test their athletes um, to make sure that the athletes are natural. And then there are untested federations. Um, So for example, IFBB, Pro League, IFBB um, Elite are two of the untested federations. So they are as they sound, which is essentially, you know, go for your life. So the other thing is if I do decide to take something that is going to enhance my performance and I want to continue competing, then I would be competing on the stage against other enhanced athletes. So where is the ceiling on that? Like how much do you take? Where do you stop? Because if I was going to compete, then I would want to stand on that stage and be able to hold my own against those other enhanced athletes. Like I would want to be competitive. So, you know, from that point, there'd be no reason to take just a little bit, right? Like you would, no point in dabbling in random cycles here and there. You would really want to get involved properly um, if you're going to go to the trouble of actually taking those um, PEDs or it, you might as well not take anything at all. So they're generally my thoughts. Um, and at the moment, like beyond 
stating the obvious in terms of there being potential health risks um, and other negative side effects that sometimes we're just not aware of. Um, You know, how much do you take? Like, where's that safe limit? Where's that upper limit? Um, And then being in the sport of bodybuilding, it is really easy to fall into that cycle of always wanting to be bigger, to have more muscle, um, to be leaner, to look more shredded, to lift more, like whatever it is. Um, So if you enter that particular pathway and you're trapped in that cycle, are you just, you know, where's where's the stop switch? Um, Where is your off button? Like when do you stop taking that stuff? So you know, there's, I mean, that's a huge topic to unpack. But as I said, I stand at a very firm no. Um, And another reason that I'm not going to be taking PEDs is because as a natural athlete, I haven't reached my genetic ceiling or my genetic potential yet. Um, I've really only been in the gym lifting now for what, three and a half, four years on a consistent basis with the goal of building muscle. So from that perspective, really, um, there is so much room for me to continue to move and grow as an athlete in terms of focusing on my training, focusing on my nutrition. Um, You know, so if I haven't maxed out my ability um, as a natural athlete, if I have not reached my genetic ceiling and become the best that I can be as a natural athlete, um, then I don't think there's any reason to take them, you know, at this point in time. So as I said, very firm no on that question, but thank you for getting me thinking because yeah, it is a really interesting topic. Okay. Um, Now I did save these questions somewhere. All right. Next question. How do you train so much and always remain injury free? Okay. Well, firstly, I'm glad I've given off the impression that, um, you know, I'm always injury free, but to be honest, like I'm definitely not, I will generally always be managing a niggle here and there. And, you know, I think as as athletes and for people that are training on a regular basis, I don't necessarily think um, anyone is injury-free all of the time. I think it becomes a case of, you know, learning and understanding your body and knowing what you can do to make sure that you can manage any niggles or injuries and things like that. But I guess perhaps if, it, if I come across as um, or present the fact that I generally don't have any injuries, it's probably because I don't advertise them or whinge about it publicly. I tend to think that, you know, this is the hand that I've been dealt at the moment. I just need to take the steps within my control to manage those. And it's probably my poor husband that um, cops most of my whinging. So to give you a little bit of a background, um, I generally manage um, you know, nothing nothing chronic or severe, but just some minor lower back pain and also a bit of hip impingement on my right hip. So both of those have been there for like quite a long time. And I generally know my body really well now. I know how much I can tolerate. Um, I also know what movements my body likes or does not like, and I know how I can modify those movements if I need to. So for example, with my hip impingement, I really, you know, that hip generally um, doesn't like deep barbell back squats. So if I am wanting to squat and that hip is a little bit inflamed, I would usually go for a slightly wider stance squat. I might go for a box squat, even a leg press with a slightly wider stance, or I know as well from my body, a heel elevated back squat is also going to be a lot better than just a standard barbell back squat when that hip is feeling a little bit grumpy. Okay, so um, lower back pain for me on and off, um, nothing super severe. It might be related. I know it is related just to an underlying um, autoimmune condition that I have. However, that is generally quite well managed. So I guess 
Um, yes, I train a lot. No, I'm definitely not always injury free. Um, but what I do try and do is focus on what I can do because I can always do something. Um, and I really make it a priority to stay on top of my, my mobility. So I make sure I'm stretching, I'm moving on a daily basis, even if some days that mobility work is only 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I'm focusing on the muscles and joints that I'm using regularly. So my hips, my shoulders, and my spine. Um, And that has generally stood me um, or kept me in a really healthy place, a really good place, minor minus a few, you know, minor flare-ups here and there. And I think that is very normal, as I said, for anyone that is training on a regular basis. Um, You know, it becomes about managing our body to allow us to get the most out of it um, for the majority of the time. So hopefully that gives you a little bit more of an honest insight into how I feel um, on a daily basis there. And yep, definitely always nursing, you know, an injury here and there or just a, a little niggle, perhaps more so than than a full-blown injury. Um, all right, next question. Huh. Okay, so this question says, a little birdie told me that you might be competing again this year. Okay, well, um, that little birdie might be telling you porkies. <laughs> okay, so, but maybe um, to answer this question properly, someone planted a seed a couple of weeks ago, so I won't lie, I am thinking about it. Um, as it stands, I would be about nine weeks out um, now, so it would be a really short, sharp prep. And in this situation, that would actually likely suit me quite well, given I competed earlier in the year. And as it stands, I'm not too far off stage conditioning um, from when I competed back in April and May. So the question that I'm asking myself at the moment is more, you know, whether or not my body and my mind will actually let me push myself through another prep or not so soon after my last comp. So if you did listen to one of my earlier podcasts, um, I did come out of that last comp prep in May this year and I was done. Like I'd enjoyed the process, but I was done. You know, I was ready for a really a good, a long off season. I wanted to reset my hunger and fullness cues. Um, I wanted time to rebuild, you know, my shape and build on a little bit more muscle, focus on bringing up some of my lagging areas. Um, you know, so to push myself into another prep now, like that is going to be a really big ask and I would never normally compete back to back in two seasons in the same year. I do generally see that for the majority of athletes as counterproductive, um, competing so soon and always putting yourself into, you know, a calorie deficit to get on stage just doesn't provide your body um, with the environment that it needs to rebuild um, and restabilize and bring your hormones back into balance and things like that after pushing it so hard in a, you know, a previous comp prep. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot to think about there. And I guess the other thing I need to be aware of is I know I won't have had any time really to make any huge changes to my physique. So if I do choose to step on stage again in nine weeks, I have to go into that competition accepting that and being okay with that. Um, and that was one of my big goals at the end of my last season in May this year is that I was not going to step back on stage without making some significant changes, um, you know, to certain areas of my physique. So, 
Yeah, um, I don't have too much longer left before I need to make a call on that one. Um, But the federation I am looking to possibly step on stage with later this year does seem to reward a slightly fuller physique. Um, You know, and that may actually work in my favor if I'm not having to get quite as lean as I did for my comps earlier this year. So let's call it a uh, watch this space and we'll see what the next couple of weeks um, bring, I guess, in regards to that. So And there you go. Hopefully that answers that question for you. Now, the next one's a little bit random. One thing you can't live without. Um, Oh, I don't know. I think people would probably go for, I don't know, chocolate or food or, you know, a really comfortable pillow um, or something like that. But the one thing that I can't live without, and I hope you find this amusing, um, but it is my hairspray. So I take that shit everywhere. My hair is naturally curly um, and unfortunately it frizzes way too easily. Like it frizzes at the drop of the hat. The minute you get a little bit of moisture or humidity in the air, I have one frizzy mess sitting on my head, which if you know me is why my hair is generally always pulled back and up into a bun um, and then sprayed with half a can of hairspray because then none of those curls and frizzes can escape. And look, guys, I know we generally... I've had people say, oh, you know, I'd love your curls and that. And I look at people as well and go the other way. I'm like, oh my God, I'd love your, you know, your straight hair. Um, And I guess we always want what we don't have, right? So yes, at this stage, the one thing that I can't live without is going to be my can of hairspray. Um, All right, let me sift through these. Okay, a chocolate yellow or black lab. All right, so I think this person obviously knows, and I know this person as well. I have a an almost 13-year-old yellow lab. Um, his name is Banjo. We've had him since he was a puppy. He's obviously weaseled his way into the family. Um, you know, he's our fur child. We love him to bits. So what would I go for, a chocolate yellow or black? Now, do you know, we were looking at a chocolate lab initially um, before we got Banjo, so our current dog. Um, and one of the reasons we didn't, Oh, unfortunately, we chose not to get a chocolate lab is just because they can be predisposed to, um, you know, a higher risk of having hip, knee and elbow issues. And I don't know if that is something in their breeding, but that's one of the primary reasons we didn't get a chalky lab um, is just because, you know, I feel so sorry for, you know, young dogs that have hip, knee and elbow issues. You know, they just, they can't live their life as a puppy. They can't be energetic. So that's one of the big reasons we didn't get a chocolate lab. I love lab. I love them to bits. Um, For whatever reason, the chocolate labs I know tend to be a little bit um, more ditzy than the yellow and black ones, which may be why we don't see as many chocolate labs as guide dogs. Um, So that was the reason we didn't get a chocolate lab. So one of the reasons we got a yellow lab is because we also have white tiles. So yellow dog hair or cream dog hair on white tiles doesn't show up. And we've had a few... um, you know, other dogs stay with us from time to time when we've been dog sitting for friends and their dogs have had brown hair or black fur. Um, and you can, it stands out like nothing on those white tiles. So um, I guess if we're still going to be living in the same place, if we get another dog, then it might be another um, yellow lab. So look, at this stage, it's Banjo for now. Um, you know, with him being so old, I don't know how he'd go with a second dog. But yeah, to answer your question, chocolate, yellow or black lab at this stage, I think it would be a yellow one. Um, all right. Okay. Oh, all right. Lovely. So this next question, how fat are you? Okay. 
All right, I am going to assume that by this question of how fat I am, you don't necessarily think I'm fat, but I'm assuming you mean what is my percent body fat percentage. Um, So I am going to run with that. So what is my percentage body fat? Good question. Up until recently, um, if you'd asked me this two weeks ago, I would have had no idea. I never measure it. Um, The judges on stage don't care about it. No one is judged on reaching a certain percent body fat. Um, I generally go off photos and measurements. So um, as I said, up until recently, I had no idea. But a couple of weeks ago, I actually had skin folds done and I had them done over nine sites. So having them done over nine sites as opposed to six or seven sites is going to be a little bit more accurate. Um, And I know, you know, some people say, well, how accurate are skin folds versus DEXA versus, you know, an in-body scan or a BIA? Now, I guess nothing when it comes to taking body fat percentage. No measures are going to be entirely accurate. However, they can be consistent if they are always done by the same tester or the same machine and under the same conditions. Okay, so the um, nine sites that I had done for my skin folds were um, chest, biceps, triceps. I'm going to have to try and remember these. Subscap, um, abdominal, suprailiac, then thigh, calf, and one more, lower back. Okay, so they were the nine sites. And that actually came out to 11% body fat. Now, again, how accurate is this? Mm, I mean, you can take it with a pinch of salt. I've taken it with a pinch of salt. Um, It's data. That's the only way I view it. I don't view it as good or bad. Is it, um, can it be consistent? Yes. If I get the same person to do it under the same conditions, then if I get it done in say another two weeks or another four weeks, um, then it should be pretty consistent and those readings should be quite comparable. So what do I mean when I say having your um, repeat body fat percentage done under the same conditions. So this means generally the same time of day. Um, So did you go into that fasted? Ideally, you get your body fat percentage measured pre-training, so not after training. Um, Often training can actually have an impact on um, whether you've been drinking during that, whether you're dehydrated, so it can have an impact on your reading. Make sure you have the same level of hydration. So for example, you might say, Um, If you're going to get your body fat percentage done, you will go in on a Saturday morning. It is going to be, and generally during the week can be better. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people change their eating habits on the weekend. Okay, so if you go in during the week, maybe Friday or Saturday morning, you've eaten the same things in the days leading up to it. Your training has been the same. Your hydration has been the same. You are having the same person or the same machine take your readings. um, And it's at the same time of day. Okay, I guess the other thing there you may also want to take into consideration might be your sleep and your stress levels um, when you get them done. So generally just making sure that if you can keep those conditions the same, then yes, look, every form of measuring body fat percentage will have its inaccuracies. inaccuracies. However, as I said, they can be consistent if you take the right approach. So yeah, look, mine came out to 11% body fat. And guys, bear in mind here, I'm only what, May, June, July, August, probably 12 to 14 weeks um, post-comp. So, you know, body fat percentage is still coming up. I'm definitely not in the uh, depths of my off-season yet. So I expect that will probably trend up a bit um, over the coming months and during my off-season before I make the decision to prep again for another competition. So don't get hung up on your body fat percentage. It's data. It is a number. Um 
And as I said, you know, they, they can be really inaccurate depending on the method as well. So it's it's just data. And there are other things that you can use. As I said, I use photos, I use measurements, um, and those things can actually provide a little bit more uh, consistency in readings than, you know, just going off the scales and your body fat percentage all the time. Okay. So how fat am I? I'm 11% body fat, guys. <laughs> all right. Now, um, alrighty, next question. I've had a few people ask me this question actually. Now, it says, how many calories do you eat in a day? And I wasn't going to answer this question. And the reason I wasn't going to answer this is because every time I see a reel on Instagram, um, you know, by an influencer or someone going, what I eat in a day, um, I swipe past, guys. And I think you should do the same as well. And the reason for that is what someone eats in a day is so, you know, personal. It is so specific to an individual. Um, You know, it really doesn't mean anything to anyone else. Like how many calories you are or are not eating should not be a competition, right? It should not be, you know, worn as a badge of honor. Um, And so many factors influence how much or how little someone, you know, can eat. Like what are their goals? Are they, you know, are they eating to, to grow? Are they in a small surplus? Um, or is their goal to lose body fat? You know, that's going to have a huge impact on how much someone is eating. How much muscle do they have? Um, are they working through any illnesses, any intolerances? So all of those little things, like how is their sleep routine? Like we know that fatigue and tiredness can increase our hunger hormone ghrelin, um, which is going to drive up our desire to eat. So in terms of how many calories you eat in a day, um, oh look, I'm happy to give you my figures and I'm going to give you like my current maintenance calories. Um, again, these are really specific to me. Um, but at the moment I'm sitting around 2,500 calories and that's allowing me to maintain my current weight. Um, and again, I am sort of just in entering an off season um, between my bodybuilding competitions. So we will probably be looking to bump up those cows. Obviously, if I choose, if you heard my earlier question, if I choose not to compete again this year, those cows will likely um, be nudged up so that I do sit in a small calorie surplus um, with the goal of building some more muscle there. But yeah, look, as I said, my maintenance is uh, most recently around 2,500 cows and I tend to sit around 150 grams of protein, so a bit over 2.5 grams per kilo of body weight. Um, And then my carbs and fats fall around that to make up the 2,500 cals. So um, I'm not hard and fast on hitting um, a certain number of fat macros and a certain number of carbs in my off season. I generally focus on hitting my protein. I hit my total calories and then my fats and carbs fall wherever they fall to make up those total calories. So my fats do usually sit on the lower side. Um, They're generally around, you know, 60 or so grams of fat um, and the carbs can push up towards, you know, 270, 300 grams of carbs, um, give or take, depending on the day. So yeah, look, that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. Um, you know, that is very specific to me. It's specific to, you know, my weight, my height, my basal metabolic rate, my NEAT, you know, my general activity during the day, how much I move. I'm not always in a sedentary role at work. I'm often on my feet. I'm working with people. Um, I have a dog. You know, I'll walk the dog a couple of times a day. We might not go far, but there's general movement in there. So, you know, all of those things um, need to be taken into consideration when you are 
looking at you know someone's food intake or what how many calories they're eating in a day Um, and just because you might be the same height and the same scale weight as your best friend doesn't mean you guys will have the same maintenance calories okay you'll probably have very different bmrs you might have different jobs you might have different levels of neat and general energy expenditure during the day and you might have different lean body mass so again all of those things are going to contribute to um, how many calories someone is going to be needing or requiring during the day and that is also going to be adjusted once again based on their specific goals all right so there you go in a nutshell that gives you an idea as to where I'm currently sitting with my cows based on my maintenance um and let's go for another question all right so Mm, this one's hard, but let me give it a go anyway. Hurt my back deadlifting. How can I fix it? Great question. And the reason I'm really sorry, this is really hard to say or provide you with any specific advice without seeing you or assessing you or reviewing your technique, because I have no idea how you lift. I don't know what your technique looks like. Um, I don't know exactly how you hurt your back. I don't know where it's sore. I'm also not sure which movements at the moment, you know, you can tolerate and which ones feel um, on perhaps cause an exacerbation of symptoms. So let me give you some very generic suggestions. If you've hurt your back deadlifting, regardless of whether or not this is the first time um, or whether it's something that has happened, you know, repeatedly over a period of time, if you might be someone who, you know, often notices that their back pain flares up after deadlifting. So a few suggestions, have someone review your technique. That is really, really important. If you've not had that done before, make sure you are lifting properly. Okay. So if you're regularly experiencing aggravations of lower back pain when you're deadlifting, then you need to know why that might be occurring. So do you have enough mobility? Is your setup accurate? So are you pulling with your back or are you driving through the floor? Are you engaging your lats um, to hold your thoracic spine in place? Does your lumbar spine or your lower back move into a large degree of flexion when you pull that bar off the floor? So all of those things are going to contribute to whether or not that lift is going to be safe for you. Um, You know, what is your core stability like? So are you trying to shift more weight than what you currently have capacity to do safely? Um, Are you warming up properly? So you want to make sure that your hips, your hamstrings are warm, your lats are switched on and active. um, And most importantly, your core is stable and ready to go. So factoring in things like some side planks and some planks into your warm-up can also have a huge, you know, have a really positive impact on your ability to then stabilize your trunk throughout that particular lift. Okay, so there's a few things that you might want to look into. Um, if you're someone who, you know, is having regular aggravations with your back when you are deadlifting. Um, You can also look at movement modification. So conventional deadlifting, like based on our biomechanics and our, you know, our own personal limb length, conventional deadlifting is not going to be comfortable for everyone. Some people may actually find they naturally feel better in a sumo stance deadlift. Um, And your other option is to do a trap bar deadlift. So there are other options there. We don't have to um, be performing a conventional deadlift with a barbell. And that goes for any 
any exercise, guys. Like if you don't like an exercise or you're repeatedly being injured in it, yes, sure, review your technique, but also look at other options out there because, you know, there is no one way to squat. There are plenty of lunge variations. So it is, you know, to a certain extent about finding certain exercise variations that do work for you. Um, so just coming back to this question, hurting your hurt your back deadlifting, um, in terms of managing your lower back pain right now, like I have no idea how bad your back is. Um, I don't know if you're flat on your back on the floor or if you're able to move around a little bit. But what I would encourage you to do, you know, move around as much as you can safely. So some really gentle walks, obviously get it assessed by a physio or a health professional if you have any significant concerns um, or if it was quite um, an acute or really sharp pain that you experienced. Um, But yes, look, maintain it with gentle movement, really gentle walks, Cat cows through any pain-free range um, can be really good as well just to keep that spine nice and mobile. Sitting and gently tipping hips or laying on your back, tipping your hips forward and back, so moving between an anterior and a posterior pelvic tilt, again, just helps encourage gentle movement through the lower back or your lumbar spine. Um, Glute bridges, so laying on your back, curling your tailbone off the floor, engaging your glutes as you gently lift your hips up can be another way just to keep... um, glutes active when you do have a lower back uh, flare-up. And one of the reasons for that is um, often when we experience an injury, a lot of the muscles around the site of that particular injury are going to contract. They're going to tighten up as a means of protecting that injured site. So making sure the other muscles that support um, the surrounding areas and the surrounding joints are active and working can take a lot of load off that injured area. So if you have injured your back, make sure you're doing, you know, basic glute activation work. Make sure you're also doing some core activation work. So simple planks, if they're tolerated, um, dead bugs, toe taps, little things like that. So again, those little things there can help help to take some of the load off your lower back. But look, you know, with this particular question, guys, and I'm not going to answer any more questions relating to injuries because, as I said, I just don't have enough information. Um, But hopefully, regardless of your situation, that has given you a bit of a starting point um, in terms of things that you can look at, considerations um, that you might need to dive into a little bit further if you're regularly having aggravations um, and a few things you can do to manage your symptoms right now. But I think the most important thing there, like if you have, you know, any severe concerns that you've, um, you know, that you've done a good job on that particular injury, go and get yourself assessed, go and get yourself checked out. Um, you know, unfortunately, Instagram isn't going to give you the specific advice that it, that you need when it comes to your situation. So um, there we go there. And I wonder if we have time for one more question. All right. So I think we will. Let's find a fun one. All right. If you could jump on a plane tomorrow, where would you go for your next holiday? Ooh. Okay. Good question. Um, I've got two options and maybe I can go via one place on the way to the next place. Um, I love Hawaii. We've been there a couple of times. Um, I don't know. I just love like the environment. I love the vibe. I love the energy. Um, you know, it's very laid back in some places. I love the culture. I love the weather. I love the water. Um, you can't go past the food when it comes to the US. So that would be one place that I would, I would go in a heartbeat. Um, and the other place I love, I love California. I really do. We've done a few um, trips over there as well. Um, we've done a few drives down the coast. I love 
you know, I know it's a bit commercial. I love Santa Monica. I love Venice Beach. Um, you know, I love all the national parks there. I would, yeah, drop of the hat, jump on a plane and take off to California tomorrow um, if someone would cover my job for me. So, <laughs> all right. But look, I think, um, yeah, oh, that's um, given me a little bit of motivation to go and book my next holiday. I think I've got to have something to look forward to. Um but yeah, so guys, I hope you enjoyed that particular episode. Um, my DMs are always open. You can always flick me questions. I do answer a few directly, like if it's uh, relevant right away, I will respond to you. Otherwise, I will save them and do another Q&A episode soon. But as always, if you loved this episode, I would really appreciate it if you can take a screenshot of it, pop it up on your Instagram story, tag me at Gemily underscore X Fizz. You can also hashtag the Live Move Field podcast. Um, otherwise, guys, have a great week. Put your earbuds in, keep moving, and I'll be back with another episode soon. Mm-hmm.